Warning. This podcast may prove to be damaging to the comfort of closely held presuppositions. Remember to practice Acts 17.11 and examine the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. From Ezekiel 33 Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman, if when he sees the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, If the sword come, and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. Greetings. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found, scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Thank you for joining me this morning. Today I'm going to actually read from Ezekiel chapter 33, um, which I, you already heard a little piece of it, um, about the watchman and the warning, and whether the warning is heeded or not. In addition to reading that today, which happens to be 33 verses, uh, a few weeks ago I mentioned that I wrote something and I was, I was pondering, do I dare publish it? And I haven't decided how I'm going to go about the publishing part of it, if it's going to be on the website as a blog post or uh, further further edited and put in a book. Uh, I'm not sure, but I'm going to read it to you, at least this draft of it, today on the show. And as of right now, it's called The World is Burning, and I Blame the Lukewarm Church. And uh, so I'll be sure to offend quite a few people. Uh, with the podcast this morning. You know, I've been doing this, I mention this all the time. I started this in 2013, 2014, somewhere in that range. And at that time, I honestly thought that Christ would return at any moment. The idea that he would not return... Uh, by the end of 2015, in my mind, was just unthinkable. Um, and so at that time, I was really, really blowing the trumpet hard and just doing all I could to warn. Um, and those of you who were listening back then, you know what I'm talking about. And here we are in 2022, at the very, very end. It's December 30th, 2022. We're about to go into 2023, which many believe is going to be uh, the most wild year of all we've experienced so far. I hope that that's not true, Um, but it probably is. And so... 
It's never been more important for us to get serious about our faith. And at the end of the day, I really believe that if it wasn't, if I really believe that if God's people would just get on their faces and live as they should, we wouldn't be where we are today. And I know there's a remnant. There's always, God always has a remnant. And unfortunately, it feels, and it's probably not just a feeling, it's probably also reality, that the remnant is always small. Anyway, let me read Ezekiel 33 to you this morning. I pray in the powerful name of Jesus that it touches your heart, pierces your hearts. I really hope that today's message if you want to call it that, will strike something within people and cause them to look in the mirror, cause them to look at their own behavior and their own actions and say, God deserves better. And I need to stop messing around and goofing off and playing Christian and actually be one course I look in the mirror myself when I say that. Let me start with a warning from Ezekiel 33. Because if you've heard the warning, you still go about your business as usual and you ignore the warnings. When the sword inevitably comes, your blood is on your own head. But if the one whom God has revealed that the sun or that the sword is coming If the one who sees that, ignores it, pretends like it's not real, doesn't warn the people, they will still die in their wickedness. But God also puts part of the blame on the watchman who didn't do his job. And so I want to be very sure and very, I want it to be painfully obvious to God that I've done my part. I've blown the trumpet. I've warned the people. For years and years and years, under scrutiny and mockery. And so, with that, let's start by reading Ezekiel 33. It starts with this. It says, Again, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land. So I just wanted to point that part out real quick before we start really getting into this. Ezekiel was a watchman appointed to warn Israel about the judgment that was coming, the Babylonian captivity, all of that. But this verse, what God tells Ezekiel is when I bring judgment on a land. So this is a general truth, a general wisdom. And so we definitely can apply it, I believe, to the United States of America. Or to Europe, or to you name the country, because is there a country in the world right now that's not out of its mind? I don't think there is. He says, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword coming upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, 
Then so then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet, and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. So in other words, it's his fault. He heard the trumpet, he was warned, he still continued to act a fool. I mean, he has no one to blame but himself for what has happened. Verse 5. He heard the sound of the trumpet, and he took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. So the one who hears it and takes it seriously and accepts the warning and changes direction, he delivers his own soul. Very few are doing that from what I've observed in the last decade. Verse 6. But if the watchmen see the sword come, blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned. If the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require of the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word of that thy, at my mouth, and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at thy hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore, O son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Saying to them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Therefore, thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he has sinneth. When I say to the righteous, that he shall surely live if he trust to his own righteousness and commit iniquity. All his righteousness shall not be remembered. But for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. Again, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. If he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right... If the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he hath robbed, walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his sins that he hath committed shall be mentioned unto him. He hath done that which is lawful and right, and he shall surely live. What's God saying here? He's saying actions matter. If you turn away from your wickedness, you'll live. And I won't remember that iniquity anymore because you repented. You've turned from it. You've changed direction. 
Verse 21, and it came to pass. Or I'm sorry, verse 17. Yet the children of thy people say, The way of the Lord is not equal. But as for them, their way is not equal. When the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, he shall die thereby. But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. Yet you say, The way of the Lord is not equal. O you house of Israel, I will judge you, every one after his ways. Now remember, the context here is that Israel has gone into apostasy. They have become extremely wicked. And God is saying, if you turn from it, you'll be you'll be forgiven and you'll live, but if you won't, the sword is coming. Verse 21, And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, in the fifth day of the month, that one that had escaped out of Jerusalem came unto me, saying, The city is smitten. Now the hand of the Lord was upon me in the evening. Afore he thought was escaped came, afore he that was escaped came, he opened my mouth until he came to me in the morning, and my mouth was opened, and I was no more dumb. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, they that inhabit the wastes of the land of Israel speak, saying, Abraham was one, and he inherited a land, but we are many. The land is given for us an inheritance. Wherefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Ye eat with the blood, and lift up your eyes towards your idols, and you shed blood, and shall you possess the land? You stand upon your sword, you work abomination, and you defile every one his neighbor's wife, and shall you possess the land? Say thou thus unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, As I live, surely they that are in the waste shall fall by the sword. And him that is in the open field I will give to the beast to be devoured. And they that are in the forts and in the caves shall die of the pestilence. For I will lay the land most desolate, and the pomp of her strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be desolate, that none shall pass through. Then shall they know that I am the Lord when I have laid the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are taking against thee by the walls and the doors of the houses and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what the word that cometh from the Lord. And they that come unto thee and the people that cometh shall sit before thee as the people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with thy mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after covetousness. In other words, they talk about it, but they ain't about it, right? It's all talk. It's all, it's all talk and no action. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice, and can play well on an instrument, for they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this come to pass, lo, and it will come, then shall they know a prophet has been among them. So that's the warning. Ezekiel 33. Not much has changed, has it? There's nothing new under the sun. 
The attitudes are the same. And this day, we have people who are watchmen who have been warning and warning and warning like myself for a very long time. It falls upon deaf ears for the most part. We have a population of people that call themselves Christians. With their mouths, they profess, but with their actions, they demonstrate otherwise. Which leads me to my little blog post. So let me read that to you to end today's broadcast. It's titled, The World is Burning, and I blame the lukewarm church. That title might change, but that's what it's called at the moment. So let's have a listen to that. Here's what it says. Contrary to the beliefs of the modern-day Christian, actions matter. Actions matter because they demonstrate what you truly believe. Your behavior is based on your belief system. Our actions matter and they come with real consequences, not just in this world, but they have real consequences in eternity. And herein lies the problem with the theology of the modern-day Christian, at least the modern-day Christians here in the West. Christians today have been tainted by greasy grace preaching and the prosperity gospel, which convinces them that the, convinces them that they can live like the world and still have Christ. They can partake in the same wickedness as the heathen and still reap eternal reward. After all, salvation is a free gift of God. Salvation truly is a free gift of God, which cannot be earned. However, if your actions are the same as the non-believer, the ungodly, do you really have a saving faith? Have you truly believed on Christ? Because if you have, then your actions, your fruit, should demonstrate that belief. Consider Matthew seven eighteen: A good tree cannot, beareth, cannot bringeth forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. This is why over the last many years I've put such an emphasis on Christian behavior in my writings and on the podcast. Like many of you, I am observing all the chaos of the world and the mad rush towards our own destruction with both astonishment and horror. Horror because I actually care about our children, grandchildren, their future, and the condition of the world we are leaving from them, for them. Astonishment, because it seems an alarming number of Christians, and I would argue most Christians, don't even seem to notice the ashes falling from the sky, nor the raging fire consuming everything in its path, which is soon to be in their own backyard, surrounding them with no exit. I've been warning and shouting from the watchman's tower for my fellow brothers and sisters to wake up and get serious before we reach the point of no return for nearly a decade but fewer interested in the words coming out of my mouth. Probably because my words are not cute and they don't fall into the modern view of being, quote, loving. Unfortunately, we have reached the point of no return, and this system that we have all benefited from is failing, and it's going to take our precious comforts and liberties with it. However, the, however none of this is really the point I want to make. I want to get to the root of the issue by asking two important questions. How did we get here and what can we do about it? We could blame the enemy and his animated corpses who provide us with our daily propaganda, 
You know, that thing they call it, the news. Along with his demons who work in higher education for deceiving us literally about everything. For spending years and billions of dollars on predictive programming, and as a result, cultivating the most deceived, perverse, and gullible generation to ever walk the face of the earth. However, I believe solely blaming the devil is to give him way too much credit. Instead, I want to argue that the real blame, or at least part of it anyways, lies at the feet of the lukewarm church and the carnal-minded Christian. Yes, the enemy and his goblins who serve him are extraordinarily wicked, and they are the ones pushing lies and perversion on our truth, but there is a responsibility to be had by those who call themselves Christians and yet sit idly by, twirling their thumbs while Babylon devours their children. We are where we are today because Christians decided they wanted to be relevant to the world instead of being a salt to the world. Modern Christians want all the benefits of knowing Christ, such as eternal salvation, but they want it without any of the transformation. To put it bluntly, they want Christ, but they also want to watch softcore porn on their favorite streaming service. I hate to be so blunt, but this is our reality. We have been bombarded with so much sexualization through the media that Christians are now numb to it to the point where they themselves indulge in it with very little conviction. Here is a bit of truth for you, dear modern-day Christian. Taking pleasure in those who are sinning is the same as sinning yourselves. Consider Romans 1, 32, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Listen, beloved, if your faith hasn't changed you, it hasn't saved you either. You cannot love Christ and hate his commandments at the same time. You can't love God and yet bow the knee to ball at every turn because it feels good and after all, what's the big deal? Everyone else is doing it. No, true Christians love Christ and to love Christ requires action on your part. That's right, love is an action, not a feeling. But don't take my word for it. Let's let Christ and his disciples speak for themselves, shall we? Let's consider John fourteen fifteen, which says, If you love me, keep my commandments. That seems pretty clear cut. But just in case we couldn't quite get what Jesus is saying, the Apostle John made sure to make it even more clear for all of us who are hard of hearing and short of understanding. John says in 1 John 5, 2-4, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. John is saying the proof is in the fruit. If you love God, then your actions will demonstrate it, and the way it's demonstrated is through obedience, and furthermore, this obedience is not a burden, it is our great pleasure. So what's my point? How does this connect with our first problem, that being the reality that the world is burning, and I very clearly blame the church for it? My point is simply this. 
Had the church truly loved Christ, it would have obeyed him, and as a result, it would have continued the Great Commission, which wasn't just to preach the good news, but also to teach them to obey all that Christ commanded. Let's look. Matthew 28, 18-20. What does it say? And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You see, those monsters that rule over the banks, corporations, tech companies, along with the vampires who sit in political office, along with the talking heads who lie for a living through the black box of death, they wouldn't be able to get away with all this madness had the church cared about obeying Christ. A righteous and holy church would have been outraged and demanded justice over 70 years ago. Instead, it's almost like we said, hey, the world looks really fun. Maybe we can indulge our flesh play patty cake with the devil, turn a blind eye, and still reap rewards and eternal bliss in heaven. Well, I have bad news for you. For our children and for our grandchildren. We are reaping, but it's the seeds of sin and disobedience. And apart from the greatest revival in human history, it is too late to salvage much of anything. But hey, I'm sure we're all going to get beamed out of here before anything really bad happens, so who cares about the world, right? Isn't that what the YouTube prophets and prophecy watchers keep telling us? Who cares about the future generation? They can all just become tribulation saints while we all sit in heavenly mansions with zero consequences for the condition we left the world in. I'm sure our grandchildren will understand. Now I know it's not very encouraging or edifying to end a message with such a negative note and without giving a word of hope. After all, all things are possible with God, so here goes. Remember that greatest revival ever I just mentioned? I actually believe it's possible. Maybe even likely. Our world is most definitely ripe for it. I'm praying for it daily, as should we all be. Maybe I'm wrong. But, I think the greatest revival the world has ever seen is going to have to start within each one of us individually. Obviously, it's the work of the Spirit through the whole body of Christ, but I believe we must all first get on our faces individually before God and repent of our own sins. We must ask that Christ would forgive us for doing such a horrible job of taking care of His vineyard. This revival will start within each one of us. We'll we'll start with each one of us taking a long look in the mirror. The Bible is a great mirror, by the way. Maybe we should start there. May His grace and mercy be upon us all. And may we not only witness, but also participate in the greatest harvest in the history of humanity. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. God bless.